Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. May I just say to you, I know constantly that I am a debtor. I'm always aware of that. Paul said I'm a debtor to the, both to the Greek and to the barbarian, the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me lies, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that at Rome also. And I would have to say I'm a debtor to you, the precious people of Glendale Baptist Church, for your love and your prayers and your loyalty and your help, your aid, your prayer support, so many, many things, so that as much as lies within me, I'm ready to preach and to preach the gospel wherever the Lord will let us preach the gospel. And I just want you to know my gratitude of heart and thanksgiving to you for your goodness, all that you've meant to me. I love you. And I guess we're more aware of that when we're sick. Maybe God gives us time to be just alone and to think. But I became perhaps more cognizant of that than ever before. And so I just want to thank you. I just want to say that from my heart. I love you. And it's a real joy to be back, I tell you. I hope I can limit my preaching to about two hours tonight. For your sake. No, seriously, I'll not preach that long. But it's a joy to see you here. It's, it's a blessing to see Brother Carl here tonight. He's out preaching most of the time in evangelistic work. Appreciate your being home with us, Brother Carl. God bless you. We're glad also to have other visitors here this evening. How many of you are visiting? Lift your hands if you're visiting here tonight. Tell us your names, would you? All right, tonight, very, uh, in a brief way, I want to lay on our hearts some of the theme of Romans chapter 5. Because of the limitation of time, we'll not be able to go beyond very brief summary of this chapter but to me this is the altar of the book of Romans chapters 1, 2 and 3 are the streets in front of the church the pews chapter 4 has to do with the aisles the front area of the church chapter 5 is the altar. This is the clearest, most succinct statement, in my opinion, in the entire Word of God, along the theme, grace greater than our sin. That where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Another evidence that we're saved not by works, not by the deeds of the law, but because of what God did in Christ at Calvary. May we pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer, for the joy of being together in this time of studying the Word of God during the January Bible Conference. We thank You for all those who have been here every night, for others who have joined us tonight, for those who will be here the next two nights. We pray that this precious book will become open to us and will be a springboard from which 
we will go into the hearts and lives of others seeking the lost. In the name of Jesus, we pray, asking you to interpret the word to us. And those who are here without Christ, may they come to Jesus tonight. In his precious name, amen. The key verse to chapter 5 is in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. To fit that into its proper context, go back to chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. For if they who are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who giveth life to the dead and calleth those things which are not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. The rest of chapter 4 reminds us that Abraham staggered not at the promise that God gave him, but was convinced that what God said he would do, he was fully able to do. And he did it. And so Abraham was justified. That means just made before God just as if he had never sinned, not by the works of the law, not by the deeds of the flesh, not because he did not drink nor smoke nor curse nor, nor commit profanity nor commit impurity, but because he believed God. And the quality of that belief which in the Greek is the word pistis, which means an active faith that lays hold of the promise of God and appropriates that promise into the inner being so that there was a transformation within before there was a transformation without. That is saving faith. I've seen people walk down an aisle and they've said, I'm going to quit They've named a catalog of sins that have, been, that have gotten the best of them. They said, I'm going to quit all these things. I'm going to stop them all. And I'm going to be righteous. And I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I want to be a better person. And they cleaned the outside of their life up, but the inside never has been cleansed. And in a few weeks or a few months, they're back wallowing in the muck and mire of it all. Because it's not the outward deeds of the flesh, but the inward working of faith through grace that saves. Now this is beautifully portrayed in the fifth chapter of Romans. In order for us to get into it, I want us to look at verse beginning with verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many are dead, much more by the grace, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so, it is the, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. Now, in these verses, verses 12 to 18, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul is bringing before us the illustration of Adam, Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26 of Genesis 1 says, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. They were created in the image of God. The image of God does not refer to hands and fingers and feet and eyes and nose and mouth and ears. That would be to make God in man's image. But to say that man is made in God's image is to look for that in man which is like God. And that in man which is like God is our ability to reason, our ability to choose, our ability to say yes or no, our ability to grow intellectually, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. All of these are the qualities of God, the quality that enables us to love, to reason, to receive uh, spiritual things, spiritual entities into our lives. So the image of God in man is the Spirit of God in man. Man is a trichotomy. Paul says in Thessalonians, I pray that your whole body, soul, and spirit may be preserved into the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body is the biology of man. The soul is the psychology of man. The spirit is the spiritual relationship between man and God. Now let me hasten to say that when I say the soul is the psychology of man, I do not necessarily mean that the soul is not related to the spiritual uh, relationship between God and man. Those songs we sing about the soul of man, uh, I'm going on to that land where the soul of man never dies and all those wonderful songs, there's nothing wrong with singing them. The, the word soul, suke, and spirit, pneuma, in the scriptures are often interchangeably used so that sometimes the word soul of man is used to refer to that quality in man that makes him aware of God. But that same word soul is also used of animals. For instance, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees or the Sumerians, and he went forward following the Lord out of Haran and into Canaan. It enumerates all of his family and all of his cattle and all of his herds. And then it gives a summary statement saying, and all the souls that went up with Abraham were so many. It refers to the cows as souls. 
You see, the difference between man and a cow is not self-consciousness, which is the soul, but God-consciousness, which is the spirit. And so, a hog or an animal has self-consciousness, a dog has self-consciousness, it knows when you've treated it mean, and so on. But the spirit of man is that which God has imparted and Augustine says there is a God-shaped vacuum in every man's life and that vacuum is never filled until it's filled with God. Because God placed in man a quest for, for himself. That's the spirit of man. Now, what happened when Adam sinned? Adam was made in the very image of God and God gave Adam and Eve charge over all the earth, anything they wanted. They named everything. Whether you take Adam to be the one man who was the first one ever created, or you use a liberal approach and say that the word Adam means mankind, whichever approach you take, the, the meaning is the same in the sense that God gave to man the privilege to be in charge of this universe and to name every individual, every thing that was on the earth. And God said, you be fruitful and multiply. Now, of course, that happened after the fall. But now, what relationship do you and I have to Adam? Were you and I actually in the loins of Adam that day when Satan came to Eve and said, Eve, God said you can eat of any tree but this tree right here and you can't eat of that tree and, and that's the very tree that God knows will make you just like God, so you ought to eat of that. And Eve was tempted by Satan. She took of the fruit and then she gave it to her husband and he did eat and both of them were led into sin. What relationship did we have there? Were we actually present biologically in the life of Adam, in the loins of Adam? Through the, through the ages, there's been a school of theology that has taught that every one of us was biologically present in Adam and when Eve sinned and Adam sinned, therefore every one of us sinned and we're guilty of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now you may believe that. I don't believe that's what the scripture teaches. There's another concept in that, that Adam was the federal head of the human race. And that when Adam sinned, because of the example of Adam, because of, of man being what he was, every one of us in that sense can identify with the federal head of the human race. And because Adam sinned, there came a tendency in the human family to sin. I do not believe the scripture teaches that we're guilty of taking the forbidden fruit in Adam's day. We're guilty of our own sins. But there came a tendency in every man to disregard what God said to do because of the fall of Adam and there is a built-in weakness in the human lineage of the human race so that every one of us when it comes to the age of knowing right from wrong chooses to do wrong. We're selfish. David said in sin did my mother conceive me. Now with this in mind 
The scripture says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Whether he's speaking here of physical death reigning from Adam to Moses, or whether he's speaking of spiritual death, perhaps it means the same thing. But not as the offense. The comparison is constantly here between Adam and Jesus. Through Adam, the whole human race sunk into the awful abyss and despair of sin. But through Jesus, Jesus is the great rescue specialist. And as it were, he threw out the lifeline to the world and said, I have come that you might not die. And so Jesus is God's love gift to a whole world. But now how do we get in tune with that love gift? How do we have right standing with God? In Romans 5 verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, we have a tremendous, and 5, we have a tremendous truth revealed. And this is as far as we can go in this chapter tonight. Perhaps just through verses 1 and 2. What happens to the one who has tuned in to the love gift of God, God's grace? Not because man deserved to be saved, but because man was a sinner and God sent his own son Jesus to rescue us from the sewage of sin. Notice what it says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Four tremendous truths. Therefore, number one, we are justified by faith. Because of Jesus, we're justified by faith. We're made just as if we had never sinned because of the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We're not justified because of our works. We're not justified because of the law. We're not justified because we have kept uh, certain segments of the law. We're not justified because we've wept. We're not justified because we joined the right church. We're justified by faith. And in that word justify, you can hear just as if. Just as if. Therefore, we are just as if we had never sinned by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace because of what Jesus did on the cross, he has become our peace. There are several kinds of peace spoken of in the scripture. Two mainly. One is the peace of God and the, one, the other is the peace with God. Peace of God is that tranquility of spirit and heart that enables us to have a freedom from worry and freedom from anxiety and operate in the spiritual realm. The other is the peace with God. That's first. And this scripture says, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The middle wall of sin has been torn away. All of that ugly dross, all of that sin that has separated the sinner from the righteous one has been torn away through what Christ did on the cross. And when we by faith receive Christ into our heart, we receive an imputed righteousness. That means a righteousness that is fed into our lives from heaven, from God, from God's man, Jesus Christ. Not our own righteousness. 
We're not clothed or cloaked by our own righteousness, righteousness, but by Christ's. And because of this, we have peace with God. And not only that, but we have, verse 2, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's the third glorious triumph. We have access by faith. In other words, any time of the day or night, we can get right to God. I've been having telephone trouble on my line. And I call and I get busy signals. Finally got it reported and they said, well, it's just because of the weather problem we're having. Sometimes I try to make an important call to somebody and I get a busy signal. You know, uh, I have a problem keeping up with all the telephone calls. Sometimes you, some of you may call me and leave word for me to call you back and, and uh, you wait three or four or five or ten days and you don't get a call back and you say, well, why didn't he ever call me back? Well, here's one of the reasons. Sometimes when I try to call back, your line's busy or you're not home. Do you know it would take hours and hours and hours and hours if I'd sit in the study and answer uh, uh, all day, take all those phone calls that come in. It's about stack about that high of uh, phone calls. And I, I try to answer them. Uh, probably the wiser thing would be for you to just call me back. But in the, what I'm trying to say here is that, that when we call other people, when we call other people, we get busy signals. But you never get a busy signal when you call God. Never. You can call him any time of the day or night. And he's never busy. That's the character, the nature of God. We have access by... What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And we have all of that, and we have heaven too. Sometimes people have complained, you Christians talk about a piece of pie in the sky when you die by and by. Well, I'm thankful we have that. The Christian faith is much more than that. Much, much more than that. Matter of fact, the emphasis is on the other. We're justified by faith for right here and now. And for eternity too, of course. Secondly, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand because we've been justified. We have daily access. When Adam sinned, he no longer had daily access to God. Remember that? Before he sinned, in the Garden of Eden, he could walk with God and talk with God, and God walked with him and talked with him. But when Adam sinned, there was put a flaming sword and a cherub at the entrance of the garden, and Adam and Eve were cast out. And part of the curse was that they were to, to eke a living out of, the, out of the ground and by the sweat of their brow. And no longer did they have that daily access with God. But when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, that image of God in man is restored. The image of God in man is irreparably marred. There's nothing you and I can do to restore it except to come as paupers and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's not because I joined the right church or got the right ordinance done or got the right baptism or, or quit a bunch of things, but Lord, I come to you surrendering to say I am nothing and thou art everything and I, I trust what Jesus did when he died on that cross is enough to cleanse me from sin. 
just like that the image of God is restored in man we're just as if we'd never sinned in God's sight we have peace with God thirdly we have daily access by faith into this grace and we can walk with God and talk with God I come to the garden alone when the dew is still on the roses and he talks with me and he walks with me and he tells me I am his own isn't that beautiful but not only that we have heaven too we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God someday this earthly house will fall someday the silver cord will break and I no more as now shall sing but all oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace you know I look forward to heaven I think some of the services we have here are sort of like heaven on earth some of the fellowship we have here is a little bit like heaven on earth I think that sometimes but I guess we'll be shocked when we get over there and find that we never even imagined how beautiful heaven was how precious heaven is there's a land that is fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar and the father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by will you meet us there all of this and heaven too now what does that do to our hearts what does that mean in our souls well I don't know about you friend I don't like to do things uh, that are great by myself if I'm going to take a trip somewhere to some great Bible conference or something I like to load up a bunch of people and take them if I'm going to uh, have some food you know you folks have been so wonderful to, to bring me food during this time when I've, I've been sick well I don't even like to eat that food by myself I like to bring other people in and have them enjoy it with me I don't like to go out to a restaurant by myself and sit down and eat by myself the great things the wonderful things that we enjoy doing together I like to get other people involved in now that's why I feel about heaven heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace and I'm so glad that so many of you are going to be there isn't that wonderful but what about all those other people in this city that we walk with and we talk with and we live around and they're wonderful we love them but they're not going to heaven they don't have any hope for heaven they don't have any promise of heaven what are we going to do those same people that are sitting out there watching television tonight that are absolutely un uninterested disinterested in the things of God did you know that we can go to them with this old old story and we can open this book when we get in their house and we can tell them that same old story I don't mean a pushy way I don't mean going and trapping anybody I don't mean going in there and lambasting them and saying you're going to hell I mean going in there and giving them the sweet gospel story of Christ and tell them that God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and P.S. I love you too because God loves you love wins when nothing else will win and when we go to somebody like that and we tell them that precious story their heart can get warmed because the Holy Spirit will begin to build a fire in their soul and pretty soon they'll get saved and they'll be here with us and they'll spend eternity in heaven with us forever won't that be a blessing let's go after them
We have a good opportunity tomorrow night, tomorrow night's visitation. Also the Bible conference. You know, I think of a number of years ago, we had a big snow. I thought it was 28 inches. Somebody corrected me the other day and said it was only 27 inches. I don't know how many inches it was. I don't care. If we have 40 inches, I like it. But I want to tell you, we had a Bible conference. It always comes about this time of the year. We were having a Bible conference, and, and uh, people came. I like that. Lee Kennedy got a, some kind of a slide and went around here and, and cleared all the snow as best he could. It was, what he did, I think, was just mash it down. We rode about that high above the, above the pavement on packed snow. Some of the young people uh, got their shovels and shoveled off so we could get in the doors. We met for a while and then we went out visiting. There's a lady in this auditorium tonight who was saved that Thursday night of the big snow. She gave her heart to Jesus Christ that night. You know, I believe there are people who can be saved in the snow because the same old gospel, the same old story is just as potent and powerful and rich as ever it was. Let's take it and let's go to people in need. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We thank Thee that God is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for those who come. So tonight, help us to so yield our lives to Thee that regardless of our own past, we will put our trust not in ourselves, but in Thee. We pray that if there should be one person in this place tonight who's never been saved, that he'll come to Jesus tonight. That those who are saved, those who are regenerated, those who are justified, those who have been born again, will say, Lord, I want to share that old story with others. Help us to do it for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May we stand, please. Let's sing tonight, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I think it's page 216. And let's not sing it slow. Sing it with plenty of volume and sing it with enthusiasm. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of that, wouldn't we like to give him our lives, our all, there may be someone here who has never been saved. You do not know Christ as your Savior. Would you come to him tonight just as you are? Others have been saved, but maybe you're not living where God answers prayer. Maybe, uh, maybe there's something between you and the Savior. You'd like to come and say, I want to hasten to him. I want to put Christ first in my life. I want him to be Lord of all. There may be somebody here tonight to whom God has spoken in regard to the bus ministry. You want to come and say, if God wants me in that work, I'm willing. Here's my life, Lord, I lay it down to you. Maybe somebody wants to come and say, I believe God wants me to be a soul winner. Will you do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do? While we begin to sing, is there somebody who would say, here am I, Lord, use me.
And while others may come, every one of us can, where we stand, make a personal commitment to say, Lord, I will hasten to you and I'm going to serve you regardless. Let's, help. Let's do it for Jesus' sake.